how are you this morning? Yeah, not bad actually. I've actually had a good night's sleep, which is unusual for me. So well, well done. I woke Thank up you. at two. It's now five. I'm hysterical. Oh no, I'm so sorry. No, that's <laughs> alright. I'm gonna. I, you know, as soon as we get to eight a.m., I'll turn on the laptop, sign in, and go back to bed for a couple hours. That I'll sensible. cut. I'll cut that bit. How? So, how early do you have to get up to do the hair? My hair. I haven't done my hair. Oh come, come! That looks like you've spent. A I've just of had hours a bath. <laughs> I've just had a bath. I've just got out of the bath. Some people have got like such a head start when it comes to having like celebrity hair. Usually in the in the summer, I shave it all off. Uh, but every no one likes it. Everybody hates it. So I didn't do it this year because people just tell me I look like a thug. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, thug that reads Dreamstone Moon, you know. Yeah, really, really brutal kind of thug. Yeah, Yeah, lots to talk about here as well. Yeah, so um, without further ado, I should say welcome back to We're All Stories in the End. And joining me is is the lovely uh, Joe Ford with with frankly stunning looking hair. I'm so jealous. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Oh, I. I don't usually get nice introductions like that. It's that that prick's back on again. So you got was that a cup of tea there, or have you gone for a coffee? What's your typical uh, choice? I've got a, a black coffee. Black coffee. Yeah, my mother got me into black coffee. Is very young. Now I so I I drank black coffee for about twenty five thirty years, and then I thought this is doing my teeth colour no good at all. And, oh, that, you know, that's terrible, isn't it? Honestly, well, you've got a you've got a Tipex. Apparently, is the mm. way forward. If you just cover your teeth <laughs> in Tipex, you can erase years of caffeine abuse. My dad so, tried the same thing with beers, but that didn't hold at all because <laughs> I don't touch alcohol at all. So he failed miserably. Yeah. I, uh, the funny thing is, is I I work the booze department at work. I got a bloody clue about it. So everyone's asking me all the time, "Can you recommend a you know a good South African wine?" I'm like, "No, I can't." <laughs> no, you must you must you must lie. You must you mm. must come up with a completely specious and rudimentary. Uh, ranking system based on I don't know if you like the picture on the label or um, price price is a what, good one do you know what I'm going to do a segue into the book because look if you were talking about a label for a book that's mm. a terrible cover of Dreamstone Moon you know it's it a bit is. confusing it is let's start with that cover um, and I, I literally I, oh, I have my copy here uh-huh. so I can look at it too so it's a sort of so it's a representation of the titular Dreamstone Moon, um, I guess, with a bit of Dreamstone there and a sort of a, a, a moon, if you will, and some sort of jizz surrounding <laughs> it. Um, well, but given yeah. that the Dreamstone actually does, you know, the big twist in this book is the Dreamstone is the creature, that could very well be jizz for all you know. It could be, it could yeah. be jizz. Um, also, if it's if it's designed to give you excellent dreams, again, you know, one might one might dream of uh, an evening with one's I don't know two or three favourite pop stars. 
in a jacuzzi. In, instead, uh, I just spent the last seven days with this book. You know? mm. <laughs> um, but, you know, talking about black sheep covers, yeah, because yeah, I really think yeah. they can be hit or miss. Yeah. Like, you've only got to look at what was before this, Longest Day, which I think is a great cover with the, yep, the creature cover. on the front. Yeah. And Seeing Eye, which comes after this, which is a brilliant cover of just the eye. Yep. Yep. Um, and then there's this, which is it's, very. I mean, I mean, what I would say is it's it's not Year of Intelligent Tigers, is it? No, oh, that's an amazing <laughs> that's a cover. cover. Yeah. You know the one that everyone rats on that I love is the Crooked World. You know the sort of cartoony one. I know, I know yeah. they could have made a bit more of an effort, but I just think it's such a quirky idea. I mean, I mean, yeah, for for the idea and the you know the execution is is what it is, but for the idea and for having the audacity to do something like that I think they should be absolutely applauded that's the equivalent of that episode of Angel where he's played by like a Muppet it's all the same it's late 90s it's early noughties it's all yeah. much of a muchness so we've we've decided that this isn't perhaps one of the Rangers best covers no although you've yeah. done a fair few new adventures you know you know how bad the, some of the covers can get oh I've seen some horrors let me tell you oh I can never figure out with this. Is this all graphics with the black sheep covers, and I then all the new is. adventures were all drawings? Is that yeah, right? They, yeah, they had they had they had sort of three or four artists who would get a you know a commission based on here's a scene from the book, render it in paints if you will. Um, whereas the the BBC books, I imagine it was just someone in the basement at BBC Towers with Photoshop on their lunch break trying to knock out something i mean like <laughs> i think i think the worst one is probably genocide if you look at it now it's it's not so much about the idea it's just about the way it's it's real it's a skull it, it is a skull sort of really yeah, badly superimposed and, they yeah. love skulls don't they there's skulls on I mean, body snatchers there's that skull on sometime never yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, wonder if they had, they had a handful look. of images, you know, like right, okay, you got to choose one of the ten and yes. do something original with we've, it. We've got we, right, we've got a skull, we've got an eye, we've got stills we've got from geez. the TV movie, <laughs> we've got pictures <laughs> of Paul McGann, we've got a pencil <gasps> sketch of Fitz, and some very clever fucker went. Do you know what? For Parallel Fifty Nine, we're just gonna have Paul McGann's face and just run some blood down it. Do you remember that one? <laughs> very odd. That was, that was kind of a James Bondy kind of effect, I think. Anyway, you know, so what? Well, I was going to say, I'd, I'd take the the shit black sheep covers for the really good ones. Yeah, because the the, the best ones, like you said, Year of Intelligent Tigers, Gallifrey Chronicles, yeah, uh, yeah, things like that, are really fantastic. I think I can't even remember it now because it's been a long time since I've looked at it. But I think the cover of Henrietta Street was quite nice as well. Oh, that's the Doctor Fitz and Angie walking out of the yeah. flames, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with the ring. You can't be walking out of a flaming ring. Oh, God, Ian, I love that book. <laughs> I love that book. I, and I also managed to skip over your innuendo there. Yeah, good, good boy. Thank you for skipping over my flaming ring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm very much looking forward to doing uh, the Adventures of Henrietta Street. So um, I'm I'm in my I'm in my little library here. Um, mm. I've turned off the air conditioning. The cats the the cats. I've only got one. The cat and the dog are both asleep. So we should be uninterrupted. Are you similarly safe where you are? 
I'm completely safe. Yes, Excellent. yes. For, for the first time in weeks, he's actually gone to work, so there'll be no <laughs> no noise interruptions at all. Paul Leonard wrote one new adventure, uh, Toy Soldiers, which um, I'll come to. Keep my powder dry on that one. Um, and then he's he's gone on to write really quite a few sort of missing adventures and more Eighth Doctor books than I thought. So where yeah. does where does he sort of stack up for you in the in the pantheon of of the greats of the I managers? had a, a conversation with someone earlier this week where I said I was coming on to talk about this book, and the fellow who's an extremely smart guy went, "Oh, Paul Leonard," as if it was a swear word. Mm. You know, he goes, "He's never written anything of worth." I've always found his work pretty solid, actually. I I wasn't too keen on Toy Soldiers. But I think um, the one he did during, you know, the Eighth Doctor arc on Earth, uh, the Turing test. Yes, I think that's one of the best Doctor Who books there is. That's a. I, I would agree with you. I think, I think you can forgive quite a lot, which perhaps we'll come to, because of how good the Turing test was, and how, you know, still at the time it was still quite a, a bold thing to tackle for the books we, we'd had things like damaged goods and um yeah. bad therapy as well but it was still a really important uh subject to tackle and he did it so well and it was part of that um earthbound arc as you say some of which was good some of which was less so so it was it really did stand out quite strongly so we've got um Revolution Man, which I didn't even realise he'd written. That's um, I, th- I think that's that's a goodie as well. He likes he likes making the Doctor a bit of an arsehole in his books. <laughs> so at the end of Revolution Man, he has the Doctor shoot the antagonist of that book, and and I remember at the time everyone was absolutely appalled because the Doctor picked up a gun yeah. and shot someone in the head, um, which you know you'd never do on TV. Now he's he's also a bit of an arsehole to Turing in the Turing test, and he preys on the fact that Turing fancies him to actually to get access mm. to things throughout the book. And then in the last resort, which is right near the end, which everybody hates except me, I really love that book. Um, <laughs> it's back. It's during that sort of alternative universe arc that's going mm. on. Yeah. Um, he's horrible in that because he's desperate because the whole universe is basically shattered and fallen apart, and he's basically trying to hold it together with his bare hands. But I think that's a goodie as well. Well, see, I haven't read Last Resort yet. Um... It's so a I, tricky one. I, well, I, you know, I'll get round to it. It starts with a T, so it will be in about eight, <laughs> eight be years. It'll be a while. I'll get round yeah. to it. Um, <laughs> I've really... I've I'll still be here waiting, up. Ian. Don't worry. I, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I was about to say, I can't believe how long I've signed myself up to this podcast for. And then I remembered your big finish bloody thing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know where we're going next with that as well? When we say we're covering all of Big Finish, we're now jumping into Judge Dredd for a couple of releases. I don't know anything about Judge Dredd at all. Uh, He's basically Robocop, but still alive. That's all we need to know. As played by the fellow who played Beat the Meep. Uh, Absolutely, (laughs) yes. Um, He's been... Yeah, he's he's probably my favourite Dredd that... Because actually, I heard one of those big finished dreads. I think I got it when I worked at Waterstones in Canterbury. I think it was in the kind of remaindered bin for like 50p for the double cassette pack. So 
I the only it. circumstances under which you could buy it. <laughs> it was 50p. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so given that I don't know all of Paul Leonard's books, and and you probably have slightly more of an overview, mm. whereabouts in that in that group would you rate Dreamstone Moon? Uh, mid towards the bottom. Although I don't, I don't think it was terrible. But no. I, I, Paul Leonard has got a massive hard on for Jim Mortimer. Right, Jim Mortimer has a style where I know they were very close, and I know he sort of, sort of looked over his shoulder at what Jim Mortimer was doing. Because you've covered Bell Tempest on this, haven't you? Already, I have. Yes. Which is a very violent, very you know, the body count in that book is through the roof. And the more Paul Leonard and Jim Mortimer hung out, the more Paul Leonard's book started to seem like Jim Mortimer's. So in the last 50 pages of this, I was like, well, this is just Jim Mortimer through and through. 5,000 people have just died. Planets yep. are being destroyed. Yep. You know. Um, <laughs> and he also does that, that similar sort of thing of um, telling a lot of the story sort of I was going to say through the eyes of the characters. That's what a ridiculous thing to say. But with a sort of urgent, you're there sort of prose. So he sort of really yes. puts you in the scene, just like Jim Mortimer does. Yes, yes. Um, I think, and it's it's a, a sort of fascinating and, and terrifying idea to have these writers kind of goading each other on into bigger and bigger wholesale, you know, genocides or whatever. Um, but I think. Jim Mortimer tends to write a bigger, deeper, more ideas-packed book, whereas mm. what Paul Leonard seems to do is, is, and I'm going to contradict myself entirely when we start talking about it, but it, it's a, it's a it's a shorter book. It's normally more focused, and I think he kind of works on having one or two big ideas rather than lots of little ones. But um, so so yeah. So even though there is that similarity, there is also a nice point of difference. I would have said ah, this is probably one of the better Leonard's I have read. There are quite a few that I have not, so I can't I can't judge him yet. But it's got to be better than Genocide, and it's got to be better <laughs> okay. than Toy Soldiers. <laughs> Poor Genocide. No Poor one genocide. likes that one. I'll tell you why. Because it's shit. That's yeah. Why. Let's bring well. back Joe Grant and make her <laughs> bloody miserable as sin <laughs> and practically well, suicidal. Hide her lighter for 20 minutes, that should do it. <laughs> <laughs> Cancel her convention appearances. Oh no, you're going to have to cut all of this. Do you know um, <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to uh, We're All Stories in the <laughs> We'll start we'll, again. We'll start all over. So... Um, the I don't know where to start. Should we start with the writing? One of the things I bumped on with this was just how often a chapter ends with Sam or the Doctor, but normally, let's be honest, Sam being convinced she's about to die. It and happens a lot, doesn't it? In this? Pretty much every chapter ends with someone, you know, and you're in their head, stream of consciousness, first person, oh my God, I'm going to die, I'm running out of air, there's a camel with a gun, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Did that... Because in in small doses, that can be a really effective uh, literary device. But when it's every single chapter, did you feel like you were just being sort of slapped around the face with someone's 
I don't know where that sentence was going. No, no, so, no, that sentence. No. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too scared to now. It's very early in the morning. And, I tell you what, with Aloise's tentacles, there you go. Yes, that's how you yes, could have that's, ended that. That's, that's exactly where I was going. Yes. Um, yeah, I think the first time it happened in the book, I was like, wow, they're really trying to push home the fact that Sam Jones is on her own and the universe is a dangerous place. And without the doctor, she's taking risks and she might potentially die. But after the sort of 15th time that happened, I was like, yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Do you know what, Sam? You've, you've made it to page 130. I think you're going to be all right, though. I wouldn't worry. He does capture those moments really well, though, doesn't he? he because does. he sort of focuses on, like, I can't breathe, my heart's racing. It really sort of puts you in that moment. But you're right. It does. Ha- it's it's like Trial of a Time Lord with the zoom ins on Colin's face. <laughs> it's the same cliffhanger over and over again. You're like, well, you just fucking kill her already. You know, like yeah. if you're gonna do it. Oh yes, it was, wasn't it? Every single week you get a crash zoom into his big quivering puddingy face. Oh, I, I love Colin. Well. I'll have to cut all of this. Like, we've got nothing. We've been we've talking no for twenty minutes. We've got nothing. Just, I'll tell you what. Look, just put it all out. Like, yeah. <laughs> live um, and unedited the know. thing about that prose though was like in the first 50 pages I was like this is a really good snappy sort of, there's an immediacy to this yes. prose and I'm really in in the setting because of it and in the set pieces because of it but then I think sort of about half to two thirds into the book I was like because so much of this book is being told this way, the plot isn't moving on at all. It was just one set piece after another in that mm. sort of style. Yeah. And then suddenly he realises in the last 50 pages, bugger it, I've got to drop the twist that the planet is an alien creature and the Doctor's got to solve the, solve the problem. <laughs> and so it's a mad rush in the last 50 pages to actually the plot suddenly kicks in and the resolution. You're right. It was... so. It, it, and I was really sort of pleasantly surprised by how easy and encouraging the prose was at the start of the book and yeah I think I was maybe uh, 150 pages in and something happened to me where I just took a step back from it like a kind of disengaged because yeah me too you know the way it was written you think yeah I don't need to really take too much of this in I'm just gonna sort of sit here and but this is me reading a book. I turn the pages that fast. Um, <laughs> so I can only read one word on each page and I have no idea what happened. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just sort of... Uh, I took a step back and I'm just there sort of... You know, I kind of know where it's going. I want to see everyone survive to the end. But once you've... I don't know, it's like once you've you've kind of... You reach a point with the book, you kind of know what it's doing and you know how it's going to do with the rest of what it's got to do. And then there's no surprise. And that was that was a shame. But it took forever, that. didn't it, for, for someone to actually come out and say, oh my God, the moon is alive. Yeah. Well, I think I figured it out about page 100 where I mean, they were on, on like the planet it's... and there was tentacles and eyes and all this yeah. coming on the planet. I was like, okay, that's clearly a life form. <laughs> I'm, th- I'm thinking, well, you know, Empire Strikes Back, they land in an asteroid and it's got a big spongy tongue. And I think I would have been about six when I saw that. So yeah. maybe I've been spoiled, but I feel like we've done this in the books before. And obviously we've done it in Doctor Who since. I mean, Kill the Moon uh, yeah. is the most, I guess, the most recent obvious example. 
But the bloody um, nerve, though. Did you not see that line where the Doctor goes, you know, the the moon is a creature. It's obvious. And I'm going, <laughs> you've got some nerve putting that line in this book when it's taken you to page 200 to drop that line. Yeah, like, like, like there's anyone reading going, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a very dropped... slow-witted child, but... I mean, yeah, but but I've, I've developed... Um, <laughs> so it was so it, it was written in that style and um, the story just to recap you've got um, a new kind of, I mean it's not it's not a device it's not a drug it's sort of somewhere in between the two it's a a, a, a mineral I don't know um, that crystals helps aren't they yeah, like crystals. A, yeah. A, a dreamy crystal that mm. helps people very new age really good dreams or really exciting just just you know it improves your dreaming um they're all being mined from this particular moon the moon of and i've written this down moo camelopedes six. Oh, that you were saying about you know the space names in the bbc adventures <laughs> weren't you and there's plenty of them in this isn't there oh oh gosh yes um so there's this one moon that's generating all these um brain lattice affecting crystals surprise mm. surprise they're all linked it's all one big brain in this planet um and it, it wants bits of itself back so it's gone on something of a sort of moony rampage sort of planet of evil isn't it you know when they're it's taking a, parts yeah of... yeah so yeah we can we can see the 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 antecedents perhaps of this story but you know it's a it's a little paperback that's coming out in the summer of 98 few thousand people are going to read it he's probably not too bothered about having the best <laughs> idea ever because if you have the best idea ever you do a proper novel and send it to a proper pu- i don't mean to be rude about bbc books you're lovely but yeah. you know i you love know, them you, jesus yeah, they're great but they're not harper collins is all i'm saying no um no. <laughs> so we've got um we've got a bit of a, a space crew with this one. We've got spaceships and we've got planets and we've got colonies and we've got sort of the military and we've got alien creatures. Um, and it kind of felt like two things at once to me. It was like I was imagining had, you know, had, had this been part of that seven year Paul McGann TV show that in a parallel universe, these are the target novelizations of. It would have been a sort of CGI, very sexy, very spacey, yeah. But it also kind of made me think this would have been so bad if it had been done in the Pertwee era for a budget of (laughs) £8.50. I would have loved to have seen them do the Krakenites, you know. Do you know what I kept seeing? Now the Eloise, this sort of blobby monster with tentacles and a big eye. Do you ever watch that Red Dwarf episode, Camille? Yes. When Crichton's having a romance with that terrible blonde monster with the big eye. That's all I kept seeing. Because I think in my head, I'm just TV Doctor Who focused. So even though I'm reading a book, I realise it in my head with a budget of 10 pence. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I was I was thinking Alpha Century, obviously, because mm. that's your kind of, I suppose, the most root one lame-ass thought that anyone could have. And thus, I had it. Um, but do you see what I mean? It it it, it felt to me like a, a six-part Pertwee space adventure, but it also felt like something that was kind of up up to date and cutting edge and could have been a really good bit of of sci-fi. 
I thought this felt more like hard sci-fi than a lot of the BBC Eighth Doctor books. Do you know a lot of people point at the New Adventures? I'm going to do it again. I'm sorry, I did it last time. I'm going to do it now. A lot of people point at the New Adventures and say, you know, all the sort of future history stuff that they paint in that is really, really interesting, and that's that's where all that is. But actually, what you've got here is Longest Day and Dreamstone Moon and Seeing Eye, and that's almost 900 pages, all in the same setting all talking about this sort of corner of the universe so you've got all the cusk stuff in longest day you've got all the dreamstone stuff here and the mining and all of that and then you've got what's how do you say it ha ha olam halam in seeing away but it is it is really detailed though it's a really detailed to be and you know what i loved was the fact that it was post dalek invasion of earth and how that informed the um, xenophobia in all the military characters because there was some really interesting stuff there Ooh, I thought. Yeah that is a nice and sort of thought through and, and considered approach which I suppose a lot of people don't associate with this range because obviously as you say the Virgin Era did sort of five years of every single book is going to be set in the year 2593 on a space mm. station blah 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 and it it was consistent in a way which could be said to be you know dull now that you come to look back <laughs> on these books with the benefit of hindsight whereas because these are all over the place sometimes you don't notice when there are mm. kind of when there is a consistency so let's let's talk a little bit about the um the 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 arc so we have mm. this this arc in the bbc books where they've for whatever reason they've decided that the character of sam isn't quite working so they're going to write her out bring her back a few years older and rather than do what virgin did when they did exactly the same thing with ace at about exactly the same time about a year into the run well two years um they wrote Ace out. There were about four books that were aceless, and then she's back and she's older and she's a, a fresh character. And then, and then they they did what they did with the BBC books. They've kept sort of Sam and the Doctor. They're both in the books, but they're apart. And some, you know, I, I don't think Sam's in the Dalek story, but she's in this one. She's in Seeing Eye. Do you think this is a better way of doing it? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I thought the best parts of this book were where they almost meet. Yeah. Because we've had this like series of books where the Doctor and Sam aren't working at all, right? And so you're like, oh, God, the sooner they're dragged apart, the better. And then they drag them apart, and then they have a book where they're almost meeting. You're like, yeah, I really want you guys to, to get back together and go on adventures again. So there's a great bit where they're over an intercom and they almost talk and then there's a great bit right at the end is where the doctor's there in the spacesuit sam's in the ship he's there in the mist and she's like yes i'm gonna see him and then the woman makes a stupid choice and the ship goes off and you can see it as a very melodramatically directed piece in the new mm. series you know yeah, a yeah. bit like that bit in 42 when the doctor and martha jones are and that spaceship's going through, away through the glass <laughs> yeah well, i thought that worked really really well and do you know, I don't think there's anything worse than the way they developed Ace in the New Adventures, because she went from being a mildly angsty teenager to being a oh, just fucking irritatingly angsty adult with a gun mm. who just hated everyone and everything. It was like but, a you know thirteen year old's depiction of yeah. Uh, 
but also it wasn't even consistent within that so sometimes she'd revert to being exactly like ace on tv and other times she'd be like you know absolute dark with bosoms you know she was kind of all over the place the odd thing about this approach is is how sort of soap opera it is, isn't it? Sam Jones goes to give the Doctor mouth-to-mouth in The Longest Day and then ends up snogging him for some reason to, so suddenly we realise she fancies him. And then she's like, no, oh my God, I can't believe I did. And she just runs away, you know. I yeah. mean, she's 17. We've all been there, right? Yeah. It's, um, it's quite sweet looking back on it. And I, I suppose that, again, it's informed... The, uh, the the new series you think of early sort of Rose um, she was but she 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 was a teenage girl in a very different way she was I think you know very manipulative and very sort of cynical whereas Sam is so sort of idealistic and straight naive and in a way is it she? naive yeah. that um, it's it's really quite tiresome to read in that one. That's that's a terrible well, thing to say. She's so fucking black and white, isn't she? She really is. She's Whereas, she's all of, all about the moral absolute. I actually was I was writing notes as I was reading this, and I noticed in those early chapters where she's meeting Eloise and she's meeting this group that are going to do these, you know, what turns out to be sort of terrorist acts, but thinking they're just protests. And she's considering both sides all of a sudden. And am I on the right side? And I was like, okay, they're really trying to get her to think through her actions unfortunately all of those actions lead to her almost dying but or, or people being murdered oh those two lovely spiders you know the two blokes yes um, oh. yeah that was, I, I thought that was the saddest part of the whole book it was it was quite sad <laughs> it was it was quite sad I, you know normally if a spider's dying I'm there you know standing on a chair like a big girl screaming but going yeah die you look like legged oh, I love but, spiders do you? Yeah, I if I, I mean, I'd have a tarantula if I could, but he wouldn't let me. Jesus, right? I was going to say. I mean, it's never happened. But if 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 one turns up in here, can I get you? Can you come round? Yeah, oh, big furry legs. You're like, oh, they're so cute. Ooh. Now I want to read you, if I may, mm. a line from the back of the book. Go on. Okay. I'm all ears. Nobody could dream who the real enemy is. What does that mean? Did you think Daleks? Did you think it was going to be the Master? Did you think it was going to be the Rani or Susan? Well, the real enemy is like the mining corporation, isn't it? It's it's humanity, yeah. Which, again, was quite obvious once you've (laughs) tweeted what's happening. So the moon's alive. It's being mined by humanity. I think think we can work out who the the enemy's going to be here. That that rather, you know, suggests Borden is ever going to deliver. It really does. You know, because... The ultimate, you know, extrapolation of you won't believe who the baddie in this is. It's like, well, it must be the Doctor then. You know. Well, we just had Legacy of the Daleks, haven't we? Which features the Doctor, the Master and the Daleks, I think. Yeah, there's a a lot of of action there. Mm. (laughs) Terrible, though. You read that one? I I have. um, Oh, awful. It's, I'll be I'll be honest. It's in my top two John Peel Dalek books. <laughs> That's yeah. This so I mean we're still in in the sort of I think just about inside the first year of the books happening. Um, so there are going to be all kinds of hits and misses and outliers mm. before the range kind of beds in and, and settles down. And I think what 
Paul Leonard at every stage that I've encountered his writing. He's never come in and made a glaring hash of anything. No. He's always been, uh, you know, a, a sort of um, yeah, a, a reliable and dependable person who will just write a really solid. I don't want to say average because I don't want to sound negative. No. But well, you know, I use the word competence a lot. And yeah. I don't ever mean it in a derogatory way. There's a competence to his writing, which yeah. means, yeah. you know, like we, you and me could sit here and say, well, it's too soapy and, you know, it's miserably violent at the end and all of that. But actually, it's a really smooth read. Like, yeah. it was effortless it's... to read this book. Yeah, it, it took me, I would say, less than three hours. Bloody and, hell, really? And with some of these books, you, you give it <laughs> three hours, really you're still that. on page 42 and you're like, oh, fucking get on with it. So yeah, I think I think the um, the the marketing blurb on the back of the book kind of set this book up to be something bigger than it ultimately turned out to be. And there was, I suppose, a brief period where I was expecting there'd be like a recurring villain or something. But I think very soon you realise you're just going to get what you've been given, and you've got all the pieces of the puzzle yourself. You just got to fit them together while this guy Anton goes metal in the background. <laughs> I was wondering, yeah, when when you said about this one, and I was wondering, like, why can't I remember anything about this? And then I read it, and now I kind of get why. Because it's Mm. almost like that sort of middle child syndrome, isn't it? You've got the longest day where the big dramatic ending, so you remember that. You've got Seeing Eye, which everyone sort of lords. I think it's a great book. And that's, that's the book that really grows Sam up Mm. and brings them back together again and tortures the Doctor in a in a way that only Kate Orman and Jonathan Blum can. She Orman really doesn't seem to like the Doctor, does she? Every she time she gets her doctor. hands on him, I think like, there's oh. something in that, though. You know, I think yeah. maybe she likes torture. You know. Jonathan Blum, mm. you better watch out, all right? You never, you never see him walking around, do you? No, no. I don't. <laughs> he's in the dungeon. That's why. Um, and, but this is the one in the middle, isn't it? Where we're getting from A to B rather than anything sort of massive happening at this point. So it's it's sort of setting up the the, the this part of the universe. It's get, getting Sam on the road, and you know it barely features the Doctor in the first half, does it? He's in what what two scenes? I think not a lot. And, and yeah, until he gets going, which which is always nice. And this one would have worked. I mean, I, someone said, you know, maybe this would have been better without uh, the Doctor in it at mm. all. Um, because if you've got, you know, a, a Sam light story like um, Legacy of the Daleks, why not have a Doctor light one? Um, and and you can do more keeping them apart in that way. But obviously, if if you're a Doctor Who fan in 1998 things aren't going very well for you your show's not coming back and if you pay 5.99 for a book that hasn't even got the doctor in it you're like <laughs> mental so you can understand why they didn't do that nobody was queuing up for the samantha jones adventures were they that's very true it's yeah. it, even big finish haven't done that <laughs> I, no. I, I say that i've got no i've got no evidence for that maybe they have maybe they're on box no. nine she well. was mentioned in one big finish story you know in um, Minuet in Hell when all load of companions are listed and someone says Sam, Evelyn, um, blah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and then do you know what happened? Gary Russell was so appalled that he had a, a story written about 40 releases later where a companion called Samson was created for a one-off 8th Doctor story just so that Sam couldn't be Sam Jones but was Samson 
Poor Sam Jones. No one wants her. I mean, that's... You know, it just goes to show that, that some people have got too much time on their hands. <laughs> but... Um, what, well, what no, it thing, got work. It, what a thing to get some work out of it. Yeah, I mean, oh, there is that. There is that. If, 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 you know, if you really feel a creative urge to address that, if that offends you so much... But I mean, Sam. You know, as as we've yeah, we've all variously observed over the years, she wasn't based on a, a an actress. She was based on the the girl who worked downstairs in the. Kath. Her name was Kath. I found Kath. the magazine. Yes, yeah. yes. Thanks for thanks for that picture. I remember her. <laughs> her little Just so face. you can visualise her now. Yeah. yeah, and obviously any any character who isn't Bernice Summerfield different writers are going to write them differently I don't know mm. what happened with Benny but everyone just got it like that and that was that Except was amazing before, Benny and Fitz they just yeah. seem to be riot proof yeah. whereas all the others you know Chris Quedge could be either you know hopelessly naive or yeah. incredibly competent depending on who was writing him d depending on did he have a hangover you know was, was, was he having a blowjob in this book? I mean, yeah, it was all going on back then, wasn't it? I mean, Early to be 90s. fair, if, if, if you were, would that make you better at being a companion because you'd be a bit, you know, happier and jollier and more alert? <laughs> or would you be sort of less inclined to run around corridors fighting aliens uh, when you could just stay in the car and have another one in sort of half uh, when you've got your... No I'll tell you what, I'll try and be a Doctor Who companion and put it to the test and I'll let you know, all right? Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> you know where we are. Share your findings with the group when when Did you've you had like... a few. I will, don't you worry. You've heard my podcast, right? I, I'm not afraid to share those details. Um, but you know what? Sam Jones can work. I yeah. really think, like, if you read, say, I don't know, I'll choose four Vampire Science, Alien Bodies. Seeing Eye and Unnatural History, mm. and it's you know it's a stronger writers writing those books, but she can really be made to work. It's just when people lean into that activist sort of. Oh, it's so tedious. It's, I mean, yeah. If you've got if you've got a sort of pencil sketch of a character, and all you really know about her is she has blonde hair, she likes going to the gym. And Greenpeace. Yeah, that's and it. If you're Greenpeace the of... is the one word that always comes to mind. <laughs> right. And if, you, if you're one of these writers and you're a 20-something, 30-something bloke, you're a Doctor Who fan, maybe you personally don't go to the gym. So maybe that part of the character is a closed door. And if you don't also... Um, sorry, I've just become sort of distracted because I'm definitely losing my hair. Oh, no. Oh, God, that's terrible. Um, I'm going to have to do the rest of the show like that. Um... <laughs> there we go. That means nothing on audio, but uh, yeah. we've just we've just seen a terrible. You sort of fluffed it up at the front now, yeah. so it looks like there's yeah. about three times as much. Yeah, body that is. That's... Mm. I'm gonna have to be one of those people that buys that stuff you see advertised. It's like spray this on your head, and it looks like you've got more hair. Oh, but it's probably it like never works. aerosol candy floss. <laughs> Brought to you by the same people that recommended the comb over, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From the makers of shredded wheat. No similarity. No. Um, <laughs> it's just cereal, yeah. Um, yeah, Sam, like Angie, works sometimes. Mm. Other times she's really lifeless. Tricks, sometimes there's really nothing to her. Compassion was, I think hit or miss it's all about who's writing it and what their experience is 
and if you're just telling a really mechanical kind of carefully contrived story with plot points and this and that and it's all about the the hooks and the twists and the set pieces then yeah you're not going to put any personality in it and Sam's never going to really fly but if you're writing a, a thoughtful book you know something like Year of Intelligent Tigers where basically nothing happens for a year but they're just knocking around on this planet having larks then that's where you get to do those kind of stories to develop the characters in more sort of psychological directions but and that's Sam, that's not here is it that's yeah in the, that's in seeing eye that's seeing eye takes place over line. three years and we get to see her development across the book over three years whereas this is just sort of like the first step this is like episode five of the previous book you know this yeah is, yeah this very much follows on straight away well, did you know um, what? Saying what you were just saying there, um, controversially, Angie is my favourite book companion. But I we'll like it. wait, wait till we get to one of those because oh. I can't wait to talk about her. Yeah, I've just, I've just, if I won't say because um, I'll be, I'll be giving away next week's episode or last week's. It's very. Confusing. Uh, are you doing uh, next week's moment. episode on one of those post-burning books? Um might be <laughs> so and you keep giving me these early well, ones so here's the thing you're you're down for eater of wasps right? <gasps> oh yes now yes. i've i've got to bring I've got, it on i've got earth world and then i've got eater of wasps and then earth world. and then i'm done angie is yeah angie's wonderful and at the time i don't know if you if you're old enough to have watched this life but angie was always uh, millie from this life in my head I don't know so, why. Remember that Blue Peter presenter? Um, oh, what was it? Connie Hark. That's who yeah. I always saw. Oh, okay. um, well, fair enough. I always thought yeah. like Angie was like Tegan done really well. She don't want to be there. She's really grumpy, but she's smart, and she was she's, always used in a really yeah. smart way to sort of help with the plots. That's the thing, and in and in that, I think she was a kind of a very good avatar for the reader because all of us I think would struggle if we were actually in a Doctor Who story I mean I'd get killed on about page five. Oh be, yeah you know, you've Jesus. got to run these, from this these yeah. late 90s books are so awful to the companions I'll be gone after one story yeah. I'll be like nah you're right yeah some you know some like eight foot werewolf comes around the corner with its claws out <laughs> and i'd just be like fuck me it's a giant werewolf ah, and i'd be gored and you know sam jones would be 200 meters down the road and accelerating <laughs> rapidly and that is the difference but i think yeah. you know angie fits um benny summerfield to an extent by being sort of sarcastic and kind of bookish um those were the companions that people could relate to because they were like real people that had been dropped into the Doctor Who universe whereas Sam was just a bog standard um, 17 year old Greenpeace activist who didn't drink or take drugs that they had to go to these extreme lengths to get something interesting out of her I do think she was well characterised in this book she was consistent you know there's, there's there's no quirks you know it's like like with Angie, you imagine she'd have like some real dodgy CDs in her collection. She'd like some real <laughs> guilty pleasure kind of shit. Yeah. Whereas Sam Jones, she'd like like two bands. 
and they'd be and they'd be fine. I don't know. They'd both be charity bands, wouldn't they? Yeah, oh, probably. Yeah, <laughs> it would be Chumbawamba because every yeah. every ten p on the pound they make, they give back and to Green Band Aid. That would be the other yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> she plays. Do they know it's Christmas on a loop? But like that idea of a seventeen-year-old stepping into this sort of really dangerous situation and not having a clue how to deal with it—that's kind of relatable. So, so the sort of her journey throughout this, I quite liked. It is, but I think I don't know if it's. I don't want to. And again, we're we're back to competence. But she, you know, she makes mistakes, but she mm. doesn't do anything really terrible. Well, I mean, she has okay. a few people killed. I mean, I mean, yeah, but she doesn't do it herself directly. It's you know. Well, yeah, I, t- I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being getting the impression you're talk. not too impressed by Sam Jones. You know, I'm wavering. I want to be impressed by her. I want to love her, but in this book, she's just sort of there. I think. What I found with like with the with Sam and the Doctor because this is supposed to be about Sam this book, so like you said he's in a couple of scenes in the first half, and then when the plot needs to accelerate and end suddenly it's all about the Doctor and hardly about Sam at all. So we've got like a, a half of the book which is all about Sam, and then a third where they're sort of both in it, and then the ending which is all about the Doctor. And so that I thought was just a bit weird. It was like a sort of Mobius strip where they'd sort of twisted the thing and you've mm. got the Sam bit and then the Doctor bit. And I suppose I suppose you had to do something like that in order to end the book with them still apart. Um Yeah. But yeah, it it did it did feel a bit odd. But it also you know, you're not quite sure what to expect if you're a reader and you maybe you don't know that the next book gets them back together you at this point you've got no idea you know Sam wasn't in the last one and now she's back but she's still not gonna meet the doctor and oh it's and it just adds to this this kind of ongoing sense of this is something new we don't know what's going to happen and that's quite an exciting thing or presumably would have been at the time I don't know like you it's a hook isn't it it's a hook of like will they get back together again because like this isn't I think seeing ISI this isn't the strongest run of books so they kind of need something to (laughs) keep you interested I'm trying to think so you've got yeah and this is to me this is that kind of era where there are like a couple of really good tentpole books here and there but most of them are sort of, I don't want to say a bit... All net. right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're fine. Um, and it's, I think, probably like another year on from this point, you get to the uh, interference books, and then it it just starts to be a more coherent series of adventures. So I think here we're still very much in the throwing things at the wall and, and seeing what sticks. Um what I what I didn't like about this book is that uh, at the end it just got incredibly violent in a way that so many of these books do. In a way that Doctor Who just isn't told anymore. 
like the TV series came back and it was more about the sort of the magic of the universe rather than, you know, the universe is a shithole where terrible things happen, which is basically what the 90s books tended to say. And so suddenly you've got like um, military officers going into a hospital and killing people, you know, and things like that. Torturing... Eloise. Oh, that was horrible. That was this really lovely nasty. character they created, and she's yeah. in a cell, and it's all described that her eyes bleeding and her tentacles yeah. have been cut open, and I'm like, why I mean, are we doing this? It's yeah, what we get that the military is a, a faceless organization who can't be trusted. You don't need to torture this this lovely character. It's um, I'm really upset. <laughs> yeah, just thinking about I, I, I don't it, know. Yeah. Like, they, I think it's all like we said before, where they think they can do adult, so they just make it nasty, mm. and that that's just not very fun, you know. And, it can go also, to extremes. And also, this is you know, it's clearly designed to shock you, but it but it doesn't because that's the whole point that he's making. The military are a bunch of bastards sometimes, so we don't need to see it. You know, we don't need it to happen. We can, you know. We're big enough and old enough to know that sometimes the military are bad. But I could envisage a version of this story, a very different version of this story, where they're sort of we're looking more at the distribution of the crystals and sort of the effects that the dreams have on people, and then mm. the the realization that it is this creature that is being a really sort of magical oh wow you know you know the universe is far stranger than we ever thought rather than oh we're going to blast the shit out of this moon and kill this creature which is what they go for here yeah it's almost like he he sort of there was like a you know a, there was there was like a t-junction and he could have he could have done he could have gone right and told the story of the the, the dream stones but he went left and he just told us the story of the sort of the depot, if you will, well, and the logistics. Know, the depot, yeah. <laughs> well, it literally is, isn't it? The mining yeah. facility. Yeah. Um, oh. Well, you know why as well, don't you? Why it went down that far? Well, he's jerking off Jim Mortimer, isn't he? Why he's writing it. So yes. he only had the one hand. Yeah, that's right. Type with. Yeah. Because it is quite a short book, and I suppose. That's why the grammar's are... so weird, you know, they kept ending yeah. sentences. And, and... Well, and it, I suppose <laughs> it goes back to the cover and explains this sort of jizzy pattern. Yeah, that's right. That's... Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, so that's a, that's a first. Um, <laughs> but it, but it was a brisk read, wasn't it? Like it, it really was. Yeah, you know, uh, it is kind of forgettable in the. It's no great stakes. It's not going to be on anyone's top ten list. But I don't know. It wasn't offensively bad. No, it wasn't. It wasn't bad at all. I mean, I at the moment this is still very much in my top half of the. The Eighth Doctor books, and I think it's the it's the quiet ones that just quietly get on with giving you an adventure that probably had more success with more fans. Because you know, as I said, by the time these books are coming out, we're down to a couple of thousand readers a month, and they're probably going to be mostly kind of Pertwee or or Tom Baker kind of era fans. They want a traditional story. This is giving them exactly what they want. When Lawrence Miles comes along with his, oh, let's kill the third Doctor again in an interesting way. <laughs> I imagine a lot of a lot of the readers are like, piss off. Yeah. So you know what? 
I love Lawrence Miles, right? Because, I mean, I think he is one of the best writers they had. But man, oh man, the shit that comes out of his mouth about the new series and all of this, <laughs> you know, how dare they pass me over? You know, that's basically what he's saying when he criticises everyone. And yeah. he fucking hated Angie Kapoor. The things he used to say about her on the forum, it's like, she should be strung up to a tree and have her eyes pecked out by birds and things. It was awful. Was, what was the, was was there a reason for his animosity towards yeah, beloved he was, Angie? Bloody, he was bonkers, wasn't it? Well, and that's, that's a good. That's reason. a sad truth. Do you not think about Doctor Who these days? Is that we're a brand now, right? We're sort of like a franchise, aren't we? Mm. So, so all of the actors and all the contributors have to say how wonderful it all is and all of this. But back in the nineties, when we were sort of you know very niche you could have these complete lunatics you know, saying controversial things. You know, the only person that does it these days is Levine, you know, John Levine. Yeah, but he's not, um, you know. But he does enough for everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. There's the, you, you don't get the, the dissent or the characters anymore, but um, I think... You know, of all the the characters to get sort of worked up about, Angie was I think I know, fairly in, inoffensive. There yeah, wasn't, pretty much. Yeah, there wasn't <laughs> much. To, you know. ah. Who knows? Well, who, we can't speculate about what's going on in Lance uh, Lance Lawrence Miles's head. If you want to know what's happening in Lawrence Miles's head, you've got to wait ten years and then see what Stephen Moffat writes for the show. Go and read all 600 pages of Interference, book one and two, to see what's going on in this yeah. head. Oh, boy, when you get to that one, you've got some things to unpick. Yeah, that's going to be... I might be on holiday that month. <laughs> I might see if I can sell the podcast to someone else, and then uh, they can they can do all that. I'll just... No, you've gone on this journey now. You've got to do every single one. If there is a, a sort of human villain avatar in this book it's Cleomedes um, oh, do you know I kept reading that as Chlamydia every time I saw her <laughs> name I was saying <laughs> Chlamydia in my head yeah so um, from that I think we can infer what you thought of her she was interesting in that she wasn't an out and out villain she was just flawed and not sure of herself and she made the wrong calls until she made the right calls she's like the reverse of Matt Hancock who just made the wrong calls Oh, actually, I thought she was the most interesting character in the book, um, and there was there was one moment where I was so impressed, I almost picked up my phone. I was like, "Well, I'm going to tell him how impressed I am with this moment." And I thought, "No, no, wait, save it for the podcast." So there was a bit where um, what was the fella's name? Dan Daniel Dan follows yes. her to the doctor's yes. cell because she's been so indoctrinated by the racism because of the Dalek occupation that she hates anyone that's different and he thinks that she's going to kill the doctor she's outside the cell thinking can i go through with this and he's outside the cell going oh my god if she does this i've got to go in there and i might potentially lose my life and the chapter ends there i thought that's such a brilliantly suspenseful way to, and the book needed a bit more of that if i thought absolutely the the, the human psychodrama mm. from the you know as as you were saying that post dalek invasion kind of xenophobia and and it's turned the humans into daleks if you will mm -hmm. there was a lot of stuff there that could have been mined but instead he mined this moon of like evil yeah. dream cheese or you know, more exploration of the racism less 
slimy wet tentacles attacking Sam Jones. Yes, hands off and tentacles off Sam. No, <laughs> we want no pseudopodia near Sam. <laughs> but then I was pleased then when she, when Chlamydia, I'm sorry, I can't get out of my head, went the other way and then she was working with the Doctor. And Daniel's yeah. such a mundane name for a character in the future, isn't it? Yeah, and there's and there's one every three or four books, there's a Daniel. I, think, I want to say there was one in Cold mm. Heart, but if not, it just felt like there was. It's I was like, in love with a Daniel once, you know, so I just kept seeing him every time I was reading that character's name. Was he was he a handsome Daniel? It was a six foot uh, six foot three Colombian model. It was oh, a beautiful man. Oh yeah. good lord, yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't. He wouldn't fit on a spaceship. He'd be too big. <laughs> they probably employ. I imagine in the future everyone's like a little Formula One driver because they want to breed people kind of short and thin so they can get into spaceships. Um, but didn't you think that when she changed her mind and there that you got the Doctor and Daniel and Chlamydia? Chlamydes? Is that her name? Chlamydes. Yeah, just put chlamydia. Uh, when they were all working together and they were all trying to save the day, and I was like, okay, this reads like a Doctor Who book now. Yes. Until that point, it was all these weird dreamscapes and you know uh, set pieces on this planet, and and it, and it just read like a like a science fiction novel mm. that would have come out. And the and then in the last fifty pages, I was like, okay, right, we're in Doctor Who territory now. We're trying to save the day. The Doctor's you know raging about the morality of taking apart this uh, this beautiful creature for its dreamstone uh, crystals. And I was like, okay, we're we're back in safe territory again. Yeah, it took him a while, but he got there in the end. Yeah. Or he tried to do something different and brought it back round to being a Doctor Who story at the end. Either way, it it, it worked for me. I think um, you know, this was uh, this was a very uh, a really unexpectedly enjoyable one because, as I say, I you know I'd read Genocide and that was that was not fun. Um, so I wasn't expecting to um, get too much out of this book. But I thought it was a, a really good one. You realise, you know, this is exactly what you said about Demontage, that you weren't expecting much from I it. I know. And it's, you surprisingly enjoyed it. Yeah, I think there's a pattern emerging here. Just you wait till you get to the post-burning books, which are really fantastic. Oh, no, <laughs> then you'll be going in with big, big expectations <laughs> and you might be disappointed. <laughs> so is so is there anything you want to sort of say before we sum this one up? Or are you, are you, are you I, spent... I don't think this is going to be anyone's favourite. But like you said, I don't think it does much that's wrong. And if it is doing sort of violent things, things like that, the books were at this point. So it's not even doing anything out of the ordinary in that. Yeah. Like, it's not violent in the way Belt Tempest was, where entire bloody worlds are being destroyed with a hand wave. I, th- I thought it was good. I thought it, I thought it, was, it had snappy, sort of fast-paced prose that was easy to read. It had easy to identify characters and um, I did prefer it when the Doctor got more involved as well so sort of during the, the second half of the book I found I found I was sort of turning the pages more and returning to the book more so I guess I am that person that does need the Doctor in a Doctor Who story 